their kids were growing up, and retirement offered a myriad of possibilities. Michael and Debbie Campbell decided to do something really different. Instead of slowing down, they hit the road indefinitely. If we really got our expenses down as low as possible, could we travel the world for the same amount of money we would spend if we were on our rocking chairs in our house? Coming up, the senior nomads take your calls and explain how they're able to make traveling together work full-time. Like every other couple, you know, we were apart most of the day, and now we were going to throw ourselves into the situation where we were together 24 hours a day, and today is day 1,256. Plus, Australia-based tour guide David Willett tells us why an off-the-radar country in the middle of the Balkans is one of his favorite getaways. Tourists are still a novelty in Macedonia, and that, for me, is the real charm of the place. It remains untouched by mass tourism. Let's explore the possibilities in the hour ahead. It's Travel with Rick Steves. A lot of people dream about it, but Michael and Debbie Campbell figured out how to become full-time travelers in their retirement. Coming up on today's Travel with Rick Steves, the Campbells explain how they've been able to settle in in more than 50 countries around the world by relying on online home shares and short-term apartment rentals. They'll join us in just a bit to take your calls at 877-333-7425. You can also email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Let's start out with a look at one of Europe's truly backdoor destinations. Australian David Willett makes his living as a tour guide specializing in Greece and the eastern Mediterranean. Lately, David started taking people into the lesser-visited countries of the southern Balkans, and one of his favorites is scenic, landlocked Macedonia. We rarely hear about Macedonia, except when some teenagers there started to make money by trolling fake news on the Internet about the United States presidential election. And a dispute with Greece over its name means that, officially, they have to refer to their country as the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia. Its location in the crosshairs of competing civilizations since ancient times means Macedonia has lots of stories to tell, as it starts to rely on tourism to develop its economy. David Willett joins us now to tell us why he's a fan. Thank you, Rick. Glad to be here. Describe Macedonia. Where is it? What attractions might it have? First of all, let me describe where it is, because most people don't even know where it is. It lies immediately north of Greece, between Albania and Bulgaria, and to the north you have Kosovo and Serbia. It's a crossroads, and it has been throughout its history, and I believe it is the most fought-over patch of territory in the whole world. No place has seen more wars than Macedonia. And it has seen so many wars because of its strategic location. The main passes through the Balkans run through Macedonia. So for centuries it's been fought over for that reason. So you're this chunk of land landlocked between Bulgaria, Albania, Greece, and Kosovo, and uh, many, many wars. Does that leave it just sort of uh, ransacked and not a lot physically to see? Uh, there's a lot to see, but most of what the reason that people go there is to see the natural attractions because uh, okay. it's sparsely populated. It only has uh, just over 2 million people in a state about the same size as Vermont, I believe. Okay. It's actually an independent country now. This is part of all the countries that fell out of Yugoslavia. Yes, it is. It is an independent country, and, well, the great dispute is, is what it might call itself. It likes to call itself the Republic of Macedonia. But that is not permitted in the United Nations because the Greeks raised objections. The Greek line is that Macedonia is and always has been Greek, and they won't tolerate any uh, 
are you saying the region south of the Greek border that is Macedonia or the land we're calling this country we're talking about? The whole issue of Macedonia, one needs to start by explaining roughly the area covered by Greater Macedonia, which is an area dating back to Alexander the Great's time. Macedonia today is split between three countries, between Greece, the Republic of Macedonia itself, and Bulgaria. The non-controversial way to describe them is to use geographical terms. And under that system, you would call the Greek part of Macedonia Aegean Macedonia, as in it borders on the Aegean Sea. The area that we are talking about, the Republic of Macedonia, that can be called Vardar Macedonia because the Vardar River is the main river that flows through it. And then Bulgaria? And then in Bulgaria, it is Pirin Macedonia because a small portion of Macedonia is the Pirin Mountains. There's one famous Macedonian that everybody uh, is fascinated by. Alexander the Great, of course. Yeah. And uh, the second most famous would be his father, Philip. And what do we find today about uh, anything from that time? What century was that? With Alexander, we're talking about the 4th century B.C. B.C., wow. So a, a long time ago. Anything a... left from that Macedonian, ancient Macedonia? There are ruins in Greece that date back to uh, ancient times, and the most famous are the ruins at uh, Vergina, the royal tombs of Macedon, which ah. is a World Heritage Site and I think one of the, and the that world's would be best in, museums. In the Greek part of Mas- that's Greater the, Macedonia. That's in the Greek part of Greater Macedonia, yes. All right. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with David Willett. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and you can email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. Sid's calling in from Atlanta. Sid, thanks for your call. Thank you. It's an interesting country, isn't it? Yeah, have you been there? I have not, but a friend in the Peace Corps has given uh, me some insights about the country and the challenges there. And another great Macedonian that most people would not necessarily know is that Mother Teresa's hometown is Skopje. I would expect that that fact is going to be a a major uh, draw for those who are going to be going to Macedonia for tourist purposes. I thought Mother Teresa was Albanian. Mother Teresa was actually born in in Skopje, and her house is, uh, her birthplace is a tourist attraction now. All right, so you can, Sid, you can see Mother Teresa's birthplace uh, in Skopje. Absolutely, yes. Another fascinating bit that one learns when you really get down uh, and dirty with some of the history of these very, uh, pardon the pun, but balkanized nations. They've been such such crossroad areas of our world. It's interesting to go to places that have had a tumultuous history. David, when you take your groups through, what's the checklist of sightseeing attractions? I know there's a beautiful, a famously scenic lake. Well, what what we do, Rick, is we start the trip in Thessaloniki, so we get to see something of Aegean Macedonia, and then we cross the border just north of Florida, and we go to a town called Bitola. And the Bitola Gap is one of the main... Uh, mm. That's where the Germans attacked during uh, World War Two. Bitola, known in the past as the city of consuls, it's got some beautiful old buildings, uh, just a whole range of architecture. But for me, and I think everyone who goes to Macedonia, the principal attraction is Lake Ohrid. O-H-R-I-D. O-H-R-I-D, yes. I think it is one of the most beautiful places on this planet, and it is one of the very few places that merits a listing on the World Heritage List for two reasons. For cultural reasons, as the birthplace of Slavic Christianity, Uh and as a place of exceptional natural beauty. And it's got some infrastructure for tourism? It has good infrastructure for tourism. It's about the only place in Macedonia that does. 
It is certainly the jewel in Macedonia's tourist crown. That's Lake Ohrid. So, Sid, that would be high on your list if you're going to, after you visit Mother Teresa's home in Skopje, head on over to Lake Ohrid and uh, enjoy the cradle of Slavic Christianity and uh, just the natural wonders there. Sid, thanks for your call. Sure, thank you. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Heidi emailed us from Romania, and she said, 10 years ago, I spent a couple days in Ohrid in Macedonia, which is beautifully situated, a large lake surrounded by small mountains. I was on a month-long road trip through the Balkans. We pulled into town, and an elderly man on a bicycle waved at us and simply said, Soba. Uh, We knew this meant that he had room for guests. Uh, He was renting out a bed and breakfast. For a ridiculously small sum, we had rooms for two nights. The elderly couple didn't speak English, but they did convey their son had immigrated to the United States, and they were excited to have Americans in their home. We were warmly welcomed all over the Balkans. That sounds like a pretty cool experience to come into some town and have an old man on a bicycle come up and he hollers into your window, Soba, meaning come to my house and rent a room. Is that likely to happen to a tourist? I think it is likely to happen, and it's likely to happen because tourists are still a novelty in Macedonia, and that, for me, is the real charm of the place. It remains untouched by mass tourism. I love that idea, finding a place in Europe that is untouched by mass tourism, and that would be Macedonia. David, when you go to Macedonia, nitty-gritty, do you need a visa? Uh, you know, do you... No visa. You simply need, uh, like everywhere, you have to have a passport a with passport. six months of validity on it. And uh, if you're going to go, is it realistic to drive on your own? Is, it an, is there an option to hire a, a car with a driver? Would that be something to consider? You could hire a car by yourself, but really, Macedonia is... It's a poor country, wages are low, and it's very cheap to hire a car with a driver. And that way you you have a guide with you in the car as well. Yeah, I've been in countries where it's cheaper to get a car with a driver than a car with my own in travel insurance. So it just makes sense to get a driver who can function as your guide and your protector as well. Yes, I, I had a wonderful experience doing that because the driver would say, oh, let's go and do you mind if I stop and get a cup of tea from my mum? And so you, you have a, you know, a built-in experience. How do you find a car with a driver in Macedonia? I have always organized it through tourist agencies. Certainly the, the agencies in Ocrela are very capable of doing that. Tour guide David Willits telling us why the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia is one of his favorite off-the-beaten-path destinations right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Bill's calling in from Virginia. Bill, thanks for your call. My concern about Macedonia travel has to do with the influx of refugees from Syria that seem to be getting... A- stronghold in that part of the world, Macedonia, Croatia, Slovenia. Now, I've been to uh, Slovenia and to Croatia. Would love to go further south into Bosnia and uh, Serbia and Macedonia. Is it safe to travel? Is that someplace that you'd recommend for travel? I would certainly recommend going there, yes, and there is not a problem with refugees in Macedonia itself. There have been issues uh, on the border, and that's with the number of people trying to cross it was a matter of logistics, but they don't want to stay there. No one in their, in their right mind would want to be a refugee going to Macedonia or to Albania. They're all aiming for Northern Europe. And the faster they get there, the better, as far as they're concerned. And Bill asked about safety. What would refugees have to do with a traveler's safety? I mean, there'd be an, conceivably an inconvenience, but how might it impact your safety? It wouldn't impact your safety at all. No. So it's an inconvenience, Bill, at the worst, uh, and there's certainly no safety concern. No issue at all. I I was there at the height of the refugee crisis, and there was no evidence whatsoever of any problems in Macedonia, in spite of what you see on TV. Does that make sense, Bill? I appreciate your help on that. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for your call, Bill. You're welcome. 
This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with David Willett about Macedonia. In a lot of countries, you know, you meet the people by going to a bar or a tea house or a coffee shop and playing backgammon or, or having some ouzo or something like this. What's the, the drinking culture from a tourist's point of view who wants to connect with a, a local person in Macedonia? When I've been in Macedonia, I've simply always chosen to eat at local bars, uh, local cafes, and, and that's where you meet people. They're, because, as I mentioned earlier, it is not a popular tourist destination. As a tourist, you stand out, and people are curious to know where you're from and why you're there. And I think always in places like that, you reap the rewards of being a little bit adventurous, and people are very keen to talk to you. That is so fundamental, to mm. go where there's not tourists. Mm. You become more than just an annoyance with a potential little... Uh, profit motive. You mm. are a visitor from far off land and people want to talk to you just like you want to talk to them. And they have a reputation for hospitality that's uh, very big in that part of the world. It's almost a, a duty to be hospitable to, to travelers. And that's how you perceive, not as a, a money bag waiting mm-hmm. to be emptied. Thank you very much, David Willett, for a, a fascinating look at a really mysterious to a lot of us country, Macedonia. Thank Happy you. Travels. Bye-bye. <laughs> Up next, learn how the senior nomads use today's sharing economy to make their home anywhere they want in the world. We're at 877-333-7425 on Travel with Rick Steves. When I was in my 20s, I hit the road with a backpack and scarcely a care in the world. And a lot of younger people take gap years, especially these days in their education, to explore the world. How many of us would like to travel like this in our 60s and 70s, in our retirement years, but something holds us back? Well, three years ago, Debbie and Michael Campbell were getting ready to retire, and they wondered where would they live and how would they spend their time. Their daughter, who lives in Paris, suggested that they just hit the road, so that's what they did. And three years later, they're still full-time travelers. They rely on home shares as they hop from town to town all, literally all over the world. They call themselves Senior Nomads, and they're here now to tell us about their adventures. Debbie and Michael Campbell, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you, Rick. It's good to be here. What a story. So I I read your book, Your Keys, Our Home, and uh, you've been married for 38 years. Three years ago, you're looking for a way to retire. Your daughter said, hey, check out Airbnb and and use it to travel long-term. So you sold a lot of your belongings, rented out your house, flew to Paris, started in Europe, and since then, you've literally been all over the world, 50 different countries, about 120 different home shares. Tell us just an example of a memorable stay. When people think about this, Debbie, what, what is one example of how you can say, why wouldn't everybody be doing this? Oh, gosh, Rick. You know, we feel at this point we have a friend in every city, and that's the beauty of this. We, we get to a city and a host knows we're coming. We get there. They open their door to us. They welcome us into their home. They've got coffee going. They've got stuff in the fridge. And they've told us about their favorite restaurants and how the heater works and what to do the next day. And we just we just start living our daily lives. And it's sort of like, bam, you're in that culture. Michael, you wrote about some of your favorite places, uh, a beautiful place in Tallinn with a sauna, a designer place in Paris, a farmhouse in Ireland. Talk about a specific place that comes to mind for you that, that really was a good memory. We recently we were in uh, Sicily in Syracuse or Syracusa. The host was just wonderful. She just had hospitality down, and uh, with uh, over 120 places we've been in, great ones and so-so, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know a couple marginal ones. Uh-huh. This was at the top of the list, and 
It's such a beautiful city. And she was American, and we hadn't seen an American for a while at that point. (laughs) She had chocolate chip cookies and all the things that we needed to just be comfortable. It was really nice. Because this is, and we're going to talk about this, but this is a different kind of travel than coming into Paris for two days and then going to Salzburg and then going to Munich and having a list of sites. You know, you're you're settling in. You're you're living. This is your life. You talked about Marrakesh and staying in a, what is it, a a Riyadh? What, What is that? That is a house with a hole in it. That's what that means. (laughs) You walk into this small door in an alleyway, and then you're in this courtyard, and you look straight up, and the sky is open to you. And we had rain in our Riyadh, but it was a a wonderful experience, and that was an example of living locally. So that really is distinct to that Arabic culture, where you have that kind of inner courtyard, and, and you must have felt like you were a temporary local. We did because we had no idea what a Riyadh was. <laughs> so you learned. <laughs> we did. And so, um, yes, and then it rained, which it probably doesn't do that often in Marrakesh. And so, <laughs> it rained on our kitchen table. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, our host took us shopping. There's no grocery stores nearby, so we went through the souk. And I wanted to learn how to make chicken tangine. And Rashida took me. We bought fruit. We bought vegetables. We bought rice. And then we bought chicken. And when we bought the chicken, it was slaughtered before my very eyes. And I didn't faint. So I really felt like a local. That is quite an experience. It's the the chicken are, are slaughtered halal style. And there's a yeah. whole ritual. So it has to. I didn't watch the ritual. Face to But I can tell you it was a very good chicken. A very good chicken. It was a very good chicken. So you've had, you've had 120 different homes that you've stayed in. In general, what motivates the hosts? Are a lot of them just, here's your key, give me the money? Or are they doing that, enjoy having people travel into their lives so it's kind of like a a vicarious kind of travel for them? Well, we've had a lot of interaction with hosts, both in the homes and at other events where we meet hosts. And I think it's a community. I really feel they have the um, spirit of international friendship. So if, if somebody takes the initiative to put their home as a part of the sharing economy on a service like a VRBO or HomeAway or Airbnb, they are, they're making money, but they're also enjoying the culture that comes into their house. We certainly feel they do. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, um, you know, it's a bell curve. And there's some that, mm-hmm. you know, really are in it for the hospitality and some just mm-hmm. for the money. Because of the reviews on the websites, mm-hmm. you're able to, I think, after a while, discern who's, who's interested in hospitality from the reviews Oh, we never met the host. The key is by the door. You know what I mean? So we stay away from those. So you have, a, you have a preference, and it wouldn't be a right or a wrong, but for your style of traveling, you want that interaction with the host. We absolutely want the interaction Because it's the conceivable host. somebody would say, I'd rather just have the key under the mat and, totally. and, and leave the money on the kitchen table and enjoy this pad for me to stay in and enjoy that town without having to worry about a host. That's the absolute opposite of the way we like to do it. <laughs> um, I, I was just in Cuba staying in Airbnb, and every night it was just the host was the reason for my memories. It was sitting on the rooftop as the sun's going down talking politics. And I was just, you couldn't put a price on it. Some of our best memories of Cuba are very much that same experience. And yeah, we were there for three weeks. We stayed in five different places. And oh my gosh, the people are amazing. Just give me a ballpark. What would it cost for your double room per night in Cuba in the Airbnbs you stayed at? Forty dollars. Forty bucks. Mm-hmm. And but, you're not going to be slumming it at forty. We had great experiences, and we stayed in Casa Particulars, yeah, where the host fixed breakfast every morning, and that was included. I and love then it. we yeah. could buy dinner, which is a good idea since you can't buy anything in the grocery stores. I cook in uh-huh. in most of our experiences, and there was no way you could do that in Cuba. Our travel with Rick Steves guests now are Debbie and Michael Campbell. They're telling us how they became the senior nomads by using online rental services to find comfortable, temporary accommodations in places they've always wanted to visit around the world. 
they wrote a book about it called Your Keys, Our Home for an Airbnb Convention. And they post blogs and photos from their latest adventures on their website, SeniorNomads.com. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Marty's calling in from Atlanta. Marty, thanks for your call. Oh, you're welcome. Hi, Rick. Hey, Debbie and Michael. I'm so excited to speak with you. This is an exciting topic, and I'm so glad you're on the program today. I am a few years from retirement, but, you know, I think, what do I want to do? Why do I want to retire? Why would I want to do that? Well, I'll tell you what you're doing (laughs) is one reason I'd like to retire. So one of my questions is just nuts and bolts. $40 a night adds up. I actually am not spending that much per month on my accommodation in my southern city. How do you manage this? And do you like to stay just a few days? Or do you, when you find an Airbnb, do you commit to a week or two weeks at a time? So that's a good question. What is the general budget you shoot for and what would be realistic for people? Because what's really expensive is to change locations every couple of days and stay in hotels. You're staying put. Do you mind sharing what what your family budget is for your extensive retirement? Yeah. Our budget per night is actually $90 a night year-round. And we talked about Cuba being 40. So that was good because that helps counterbalance uh, Jerusalem and Oslo and Norway and Dublin. So Uh, you spend $30,000 a year to sleep in people's homes for 360 nights or something like that. (laughs) Ballpark. We do. There's a few nights a year we camp with family and friends. In fact, Rick, we were going to ask if we could, you know, stop at your house for a few weeks. (laughs) That's couch surfing, isn't it? That's a a different skill, and uh, we can talk about that. Yeah, we're currently going to boat sit for a bit. Yeah, so you can can mix it with with sitting and couch surfing and staying with friends and relatives. And I think the other part of the question was how long do we stay? We thought we would stay two weeks in every city, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's really come down to more seven to ten days. You get a few three-day stays when you go to Chisinau, the capital of Moldova, and you say, eh, that's kind of enough. Um, mm-hmm. So we are usually booked about four weeks out in front. Okay. It's kind of rolling four weeks all the yeah. time. Wow. So this is just a constant freedom. The world <laughs> is your home. It just... <laughs> Have suitcases, will travel, I'll tell you. Marty, I think that's, uh, well, the challenge, of course, Marty, uh, is just having the financial wherewithal to do this because it is it's a nonstop retirement slash adventure vacation, so it, it costs some money. But a, a lot of people spend that much in a retirement home. I, I think you can yeah. you could pencil it out and see what people spend in a retirement home. And you might take a little out of your long-term nest egg in order to consume it now and uh, and then not leave anything to your kids. Okay. Absolutely. Isn't I'm going to spend every bit that's, of my retirement that's the t-shirt, on my I think. And me. I'm spending my kid's <laughs> retirement. Hey, Marty, th- thanks for your call, Marty. Thank you. Bye-bye now. You bet. So, Michael, when you think about just the economics of all of this, talk a little bit more about how you envisioned it and how you decided you could afford this. Yeah, when Mary gave us the idea, it seemed like so far-fetched from our budget, but uh, we started thinking about it and said, if we really got our expenses down as low as possible, you know, where we just had no expenses at home and rented our home, mm-hmm. could we take my Social Security plus some from our retirement savings mm-hmm. and travel the world for the same amount of money we would spend if we were on our rocking chairs in our house? And, and that's your goal? And it's sort of a, a wash then? The first year we were over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the second year we got a little closer. Yeah. And in the third year, I think we're right on. So, so you're getting, you're refining this nonstop budget travel sort of uh, retirement. And it's getting better. It's getting better. And we, we're getting an assist from a strong dollar. So let's not... That's a good point, isn't it? And yeah. do you do you decide to um, 
hang out longer in cheaper countries? Are there some destinations that are a lot cheaper than other destinations? Mm. Well, we, we love Croatia, and that's affordable, and so we mm-hmm. stay a little bit longer there. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Debbie and Michael Campbell, and they are senior nomads. That means they've decided to retire on the road, traveling. Debbie and Michael, when you're traveling, you've got an agenda. You're sightseeing. You're, you work really hard all year. We Americans have the shortest vacations in the rich world. We go over there, bam, bam, bam. We see a lot of stuff. But you're living on the road. Talk about how, you know, philosophically that's different. What is your standard operating procedure as you settle in and so on? Well, our philosophy is we're living our daily lives in other people's homes, just as we would try to do if we were retired in Seattle. So we walk in the front door, we meet the host, we close the door, and then we look around the kitchen and see what there is to use to make meals and whether the washer and dryer works and, you know, how to use the six or seven TV remotes and (laughs) (laughs) plug into Wi-Fi. And then we um, head to the store and buy the basics and start living our lives. So you're concerned about things that a lot of travelers might not be, stocking up the kitchen, staying up on the news, communicating with loved ones. I mean, you know, this is your reality. It's not your escape. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that we're not exhausted because a lot of people say they need a vacation from their vacation. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm so jealous. I, I think know. this is so... And we why, just, why don't more people do this? Some days when we get when we arrive at our new home, yeah. we take a nap. Yeah, imagine that because right. you're not imagine, leaving the day no, after tomorrow. We don't You've have got, to go to the top of the Eiffel Tower. We can do that tomorrow or the next day or not at all. <laughs> so now, as, as a relaxed sightseer, traveler, person who's on perpetual vacation... Um, <laughs> Do you orient yourself? Do you have a, like a, let's take a, an orientation tour to kick things off, for instance? Yeah, we really um, look for the free walking tours in every city, and it's surprising. They're in almost every city in Europe that we've, we've stayed okay, in. Okay, so these are these free walks that ask for a tip at the end. So yep. you give them 10 bucks or something, yep. but it's a great yep. way to get oriented. Starving students, and they do a great oh, so job. That's good. And then what about, I was reading in your book, these sort of settling in experiences, getting into the local sports, uh, getting into cooking with the local cuisine. Uh, Have you done that? Yeah, we have. I mean, I'm a big sports fan, so I try and attend as many soccer or let's call them football matches as I can wherever we go. And um, we try and go to as many cultural things, especially free things we can find. Um, well, talk about a few sporting events that you've been to, Michael, because you're a guy who enjoys sports. And when we travel, a lot of times we end up doing all the touristy things, but the stadiums are full of local people. Now, you can spend a lot of money and in, in, in be with a crowd of 100,000 people at a big soccer game, but there's also, I would imagine, some funkier little sporting events you can hit in smaller countries and developing world. What are some interesting sporting experiences you've had? Yes, I'm blessed to have gone to the, you know the French Open tennis and Wimbledon and mm-hmm. so forth. But really, I love the soccer mm-hmm. because it's not so much what happens on the field; mm-hmm. it's figuring out how to get there, getting a ticket, and then sitting down in your little seat next to somebody or other, and then finding out whether somebody speaks English or not, and, yeah. and making friends and just the cultural differences from country to country of whether they allow smoking or don't smoking, and they sell beer or they don't sell beer. Yeah, you know, night matches in. San Siro in Milan where, you know, they're throwing flares and, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just... And if you're staying in a town that's got one day worth of sightseeing and you're there for a week, you can do things that the locals do and you can go to the market and cook. Debbie, talk about cooking because I know you like to cook and the first thing you do is set up the kitchen. I do. I travel with a few things, not much, a couple of knives and in my check-in bag. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I go to the kitchen, I see what I have because that determines what I can prepare and then I head to the market. Uh, Michael and I both go together to do the first grocery shopping. Then I go to the fresh market. It's really fun for me because I talk to the locals about how to cook these ingredients that are different so many places. 
I think the hardest thing that we do is when we get to an Airbnb at, at night and we're tired <laughs> and we go to the store and we don't know how to ask for milk. Right. Well, you know, and non-fat milk. Fat. Yeah, low-fat low fat milk. milk is not in Europe. No, well, thank there's you. a lot of different kinds of milk on a grocery store shelf <laughs> oh, in America. You go to Europe God. and you go, that's milk. That's <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was interesting in your book. You laid out your priorities. You're looking for something around $100 a night with Wi-Fi, a stocked kitchen, central location, and with positive reviews. You've stayed at over 100 places. Have you had any that are just disasters? I would say disasters, no. I mm -hmm. mean, some of them are certainly marginal, but mm -hmm. we always try to accept the responsibility. We picked it. You know, we read their views. Yeah. And so it's not like... It's um, a good attitude. Unless it's really misrepresented, but we haven't yeah. had problems. I think the, the fun thing for us is we look for ones in the center of the city right. so we can walk and take public transportation. Mm -hmm. And we figured out one little trick that's kind of fun. The free walking tours are always in the center of a city mm -hmm. you know, because they want to make it as easy as possible. Yeah. And that's where so many of the attractions are. And you'll find Airbnb and VRBO and uh, Home Away places are often available in the center as well. Yeah, we yeah. type in the address of the free walking tour and meeting place oh, so and search for that's there. a good idea. Yeah. yeah. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Debbie and Michael Campbell about their perpetual vacation. They are senior nomads living their retirement years perpetually on the road for about what they figure it might cost at home, maybe plus a little bit more. Hey, you're living in pretty tight social quarters, just the two of you, uh, more hours together than most people have. <laughs> uh, let me hear a, little, a few tips about how does a couple get along when the only person around that speaks your language is your spouse? Oh. <laughs> That's funny. Um, uh, you know, that was one of the, the risks that we took. Both of us were working full time when we decided to do this. And like every other couple, you know, we were apart most of the day. And now we were going to throw ourselves into the situation where we were together 24 hours a day. And today is day 1,256. <laughs> 1,256. I know right. that because I filled out the journal for, oh, that's for today. Great. And, you know, it's a good thing Michael likes football because that gives me one night a week, one night out right. <laughs> every now and again. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> but, you know, it's really, it's really pulled our relationship together because we have to collaborate and we are best friends. And so it just works. That's um, so good. Yeah. Who's the tour guide? Oh, he's chief travel planner and I'm in charge of fun and provisions. Debbie's a graphic designer, uh -huh. um, and I was an event planner, so I love spreadsheets, and Debbie hates spreadsheets. So. And I love any visual clues, I mean, and, and just all the art and graffiti. And so find your talents and your passions and let that dictate who does what, because you do have to divide up the labor involved in sure, making this yeah. long-term tour work. Sure you do, yeah. yeah. And that's why we do it so well, because we just complement each other. I found that a lot of travelers, partners, you know, married couples and so on that are going on a vacation, they feel like they have to be together every moment. And it's like this forced three-legged race. And I think it's important to have an explicit understanding up front that, look, sometimes I'm going to want to do something that you don't want to do and vice versa. And we should not be insulted by that. I want to go down to the marina and look at boats. And, and you want to go to the market and, and take pictures of lavender. All exactly. Right, well, let's just do that. I'll see you for dinner. And with that understanding, I think your partnership goes better. We often ask for two keys, two sets of keys. Um, and that's good because, you know, he can go his way, I can go my way, and we don't have to coordinate who's going to be home when. And, yeah, you have to have time apart. And maybe some Airbnb places have a little a doghouse in the back where somebody can <laughs> misbehaving can go. There's that. Or if you do have one set of keys, you could lock the door. I don't know. I was going to add one little logistics is in each country we get a different SIM card, so we have a different oh. phone number and data plan. And that's helpful in a lot of ways, but to tie back to what you're just talking about, you know, then we can phone or text each other if we're yeah. in different parts of the city. 
it may be a little um, costly to be calling all the time, but you can text almost free anywhere yeah. when you have these SIM cards. And We've then had, yeah. You're aware oh, of what, you say, I'm going to be late or, or meet me over here. We've had over 50 phone numbers. We've got more with the senior nomads and how they make it work to be full-time travelers in their retirement. That's in just a minute on Travel with Rick Steves. Plus, more of your calls at 877-333-RICK. Mountain land of history, I'm Martin Lavandovich, and I come from Wales, and I travel with Rick Steves. There's one notorious town in Wales that has, like, the longest name of any town in Europe, I think. Oh, you'll be referring to Llanfair Pwllgwyngyll Gogeri Chwyrndrobos Llantysilio Gogogoch, will you not, Rick? That's one word? That's one word. Say it again. Llanfair Pwllgwyngyll Gogeri Chwyrndrobos Llantysilio Gogogoch. That must be a bunch of words. If you translated it literally, what would it mean, Martin? Oh, gosh. I mean, you're asking me now. The Church of St. Mary, White Hazel, Rapid Pool, Red Cave of the Blessed Cilio, so on. They must have a short name for that town. Yeah, Llanfair. <laughs> or Llanfair PG if you live on Anglesey. Instead of nesting at home for their retirement, Michael and Debbie Campbell have been migrating. They live for a time in whatever country strikes their interest. They're our guests right now on Travel with Rick Steves while they're briefly back on what used to be their home turf in Seattle before they head off to continue their adventures overseas. They're explaining for us how you can make it work to live out your own travel dreams on a perpetual vacation as a senior nomad. Our phone number is 877-333-7425 and Kathy is calling in from Centralia in Washington. Kathy, thanks for your call. Hello, thank you for taking my questions today. You bet. Uh, my husband and I are planning an upcoming trip to the UK, and I have two questions. One, what items can you not leave out of your suitcase? And two, what items have you completely eliminated from your packing in your suitcase? Okay, so packing tips. What's critical yes. and, and what's uh, superfluous? Uh, exactly. Well, depending on how long you're traveling, we couldn't live without our bed pillows. And I used to just scoff at people that traveled with their pillows, but I would not be without mine. And that means wherever we lay our head is home. Hmm. Uh, But it does take up a little room. I would say I wouldn't travel with heavy books. And we love our Kindles and most anything you can get on a Kindle or a tablet. And here's one thing. Michael and I, because we are together all the time and we wear the same things all the time, I've learned that you don't have to change outfits very often. And our rule is you have to say to the other person, my, you look nice today. (laughs) <laughs> so don't worry about taking too many things I, I had a quote once that I, I love that said lay out all your clothes and all your money right. take half the clothes and twice the money that's a good quote yeah you know I like that sort of built in uh, standard operating procedure to compliment your travel partner <laughs> I've got a friend who the rule is at the table you can never pour your own drink and you can only have somebody else pour it if you give them a compliment Oh, so yeah. nice, nice I might keep you sober. Strategy. It's a lovely strategy. And, you know, Debbie, you're talking about your pillow, and you're right. I've looked at people and kind of scoff a pillow, come on. But it's your little bit of home that's consistent, and you're sleeping in strange bedrooms. And I think about it, I've got my funky little alarm clock that I don't even need, but I take it because it's my old alarm <laughs> clock, and I put it at the bedside, and everywhere I go, it becomes a little bit of my bedroom. Now tell us, man. 
Yeah, that, yeah, that's what it is. Michael. Yeah. I just want to say that we do use packing cubes. And pack, people love those packing oh, cubes. Oh, yeah. my oh, gosh. Yeah, right. couldn't they, do it without it. They can't be duplicated. They are the best. These are little zipper mesh cubicle bags that let you compartmentalize your luggage. And uh, you are on the road relocating every week or so, and you need to be mobile. And if you can't carry your own gear comfortably, you're at a huge disadvantage. And, Debbie, your, your tip about not carrying a lot of heavy books, uh, boy, that is, you want to read, you've got plenty of time to read, but nowadays, do it digitally. Kathy, thanks for your call. Thank you for taking my I call. Ho- have I, hope a good that, day. I hope that gave you some uh, good ideas. Most helpful. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. So, Debbie and Michael, I'm, I'm fascinated by this new way of crowdsourcing, sharing information, the sharing economy, booking things online, and so on as it applies to your travels. Of course, back when I was a kid, I stayed in a lot of B&Bs, but you'd walk down the street and knock on the door and, and see if you liked the vibe of the place and then choose to stay there. You probably remember those days. And of course, uh, these services now, VRBO, HomeAway, Airbnb, and so on, are the new norm. First of all, just a few practical tips. You're pretty savvy about reading through the reviews. I know there are companies in, in India that make their whole business by writing false reviews, and there are people that are enemies of different sites on TripAdvisor or whatever that'll say bad things just to put down their competition. And there's people that that stoke their own reviews to get more business. It's critical for these businesses nowadays. How do you have savvy when it comes to looking at reviews online, whether it's Airbnb or other services? I guess just a little experience in trying to read between the lines and know what you're looking for. We feel like the host makes the biggest difference. The host can make an average place wonderful. A marginal host can make an average place not very good. Mm. So we try and read the reviews to determine whether the host is engaged and is doing this for the purposes of hospitality and, of course, earning money. We mm-hmm. you know, Don't be naive here, but mm-hmm. some people just like to be innkeepers, huh? Yeah. You know, I mean, they just, that's their, their, their DNA. Yeah. yeah. Some people are just cut out to be hosts, and they've been doing it for 10 years, and they absolutely love it. And other people have done it for a year and a half, and they're already burned out. Mm-hmm. So you can probably tell that from the way they present themselves. And the way people review them. Yeah. 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 Okay, so that's the thing that distinguishes a place. It doesn't matter how, you know, how many bouquets of flowers are around or yeah. how many little nice things that smell good in the bathroom there are. I mean, it's the host that's going to give you the, the best experience. Yeah. How has it changed in the three years that you've been doing it? Is it getting better organized, the, the whole service to book things online and, and just the whole notion of, of this sharing economy? Well, we've been a fairly big user of Airbnb, as you know. So what we've found is that they've really fine-tuned the review process. So I write a review for the Airbnb and the host writes a review of us, and we can't see that review until they're both done. Ah. So they're kind of blind. That's smart for yeah. them, isn't it? At yeah. the very beginning, it wasn't like that. Yeah. I could write a review and they'd read it and then they'd oh, rebut then, or so. Yeah. And, but now it's really Because just, like in Uber, when I get out of an Uber, I can tell the driver, I'll give you a five if you give me a five. Oh, <laughs> you know, maybe we're just naive. We, I've no, never thought of that. That but. corrupts the whole system. <laughs> uh, but I do appreciate that in a, in a service like Uber where, you, where the driver can see if he wants me in his car yeah. and where if I want to see if I want to get in his or her car. You mm. know? So yeah. mm-hmm. I do use TripAdvisor. I was hesitant at first because mm-hmm. I think Yelp seems to be a negative sort of place mm-hmm. and I, I don't right. like Yelp so much. But TripAdvisor, I've warmed to them. And so I'm, and what the three primary areas of help from TripAdvisor would be eating, sleeping, and things to do. Exactly. Which ones do you use the most of? Things to do. Me things too. To do. Yeah. Me too. That's absolutely yeah. what I, I love TripAdvisor for things to do. Yeah. Because yeah. I find that I can consider there are places to eat and sleep, but I'm not going to let it dictate where I eat and sleep like a lot of Americans do. Because a lot of Americans are just 
they're wired to be sheep. They'll vote for whoever's high in the polls and this kind of thing, you know. And they're all sheep eat, or sheep, uh, both. both. <laughs> <laughs> but they're you know they're going to eat Tex-Mex in in Paris because oh. TripAdvisor says eat Tex-Mex in Paris, and that makes no sense to me. But the things to do is great, and I don't even care what's number one thing to do. I just know what are the options. You yeah, know? and sure. there's a hundred things to do in Galway. Well, let's look at them and say, oh, let's do this food tour. Or something like yeah, that. Absolutely. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Debbie and Michael Campbell, and they are senior nomads. At least that's what they call themselves, and they're enjoying probably the most interesting retirement of anybody I have ever met. I remember from my tour guiding uh, days when I was the youngest person on the tour and uh, had a lot of retired travelers, and people would say, You're never too old to have a happy childhood. And they'd say, Age only matters if you're a cheese. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you guys education are. Education <laughs> is wasted on the young. I mean, <laughs> really. That. That's yeah. a good one. I mean, yeah. this is so educationally enriching, just a gap year for seniors. And the, all the puzzle parts uh, that I never cared about in school are all falling into place in terms mm. of European history. And, you know, I think from my point of view and my fellow tour guides, we enjoy our mature travelers because they have that attitude. It's time to really get our brains around this fascinating concept. Our phone number is 877-3337425 and Jill is calling in from Vancouver in British Columbia. Hi, Jill. Hi. Hi, Vic. It's a great show. Yeah, thanks for your call. Do you have a, a comment or a question for Debbie or Michael? Yeah. I have often dreamed of traveling in Europe and doing exactly the kind of thing that Debbie and Michael are doing, staying in homestays so you can get to know the people. But I, I have a question because I would be doing it alone as a senior. How do you find places that you feel are safe? I really want to make sure I was safe before I got there. If I were traveling on my own, and I'm 60, so what I've learned from Airbnb is that there's all kinds of ways to use the service. We always get an entire home because we're living our lives on the road. But there are so many hosts that welcome people into their home in a private bedroom or even just a private part of their house with a separate entrance. And the safety comes from knowing that that person is expecting you and will look after you during your stay. They'll know if you, you don't show up that night or whatever else. And I would do it in a heartbeat because the largest host population, the growing host population in Airbnb are senior women. And so I think there's a lot of women to women movement in this uh, shared economy. So I would just say, you know, look for a shared room and um, read the reviews. And I think you'd be just fine. And, and are there safeguards that, you know, if, if a host is makes people feel uncomfortable or if it's not safe, they won't be listed anymore in this or that booking exactly. agency? Well, Jill, there you go. Wow, that's fantastic. Those answers are just great. I think I'll have a lot more confidence booking a place now. (laughs) Well, good luck with your travel plans, Jill. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Debbie and Michael Campbell about uh, retiring on the road. You joke in your book that the universal Airbnb style is Ikea. It sounds like a lot of people fix up their extra rooms by <laughs> going to the Ikea store. What about just very briefly red tape and visas? And I know, you know, you can only stay so long in Europe without leaving and coming back in. Has that ever been a concern of yours in your travels? Because you're on the road kind of perpetually. It was a concern at the beginning because we thought, oh, my gosh, you know, we want to be law abiding. Right. Um, so we went through the steps of getting a visa from France for a one-year long-term tourist visa. So that's because you exceeded the Schengen limits? Is, is that what you understand? We knew we were going to. So that's so, 180 days out of a year or something like that. It's yeah. kind of complicated. But if you're going to stay extended, yep. you can try to sneak through, which is ill-advised, yep. or you can just go through the hoops and get yourself a visa where you are welcome to stay for a year, and generally that's doable? It is. I mean, it takes work, but if mm-hmm. you get it from France, 
it applies to any of the other countries in the Schengen zone. And how much does that cost? Oh, ballpark. $500 a piece. 500 bucks. All in, you think? Yeah, 500 each. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we had Mary on the ground in Paris, our daughter there, who was helpful. But um, Your daughter, who you can blame for most of this. Most anything. It was her idea in the first place. That's right. (laughs) But I I would say in the third year, that is to say, we decided not to get the visas. And Mm -hmm. so we did the popped in and out. You can pop in and out and save the headaches and the money. And just, it's like a lot of people, they'll go to Goa for a couple of days to get back into India and not exceed the 90-day tourist visa. Oh, it's yeah. it's or, the or, Schengen or, dance. Yeah. The Schengen dance, that's yeah. what you call it. But I mean, Ireland, Ireland's not in the Schengen zone. UK's Croatia. Not. Croatia. That's another question. You're hopping every week or so, just indefinitely on the road. Do you, you're, you're making your itinerary sort of uh, six weeks out or something like that. Mm-hmm. Are you then buying one-way tickets and you're uh, mostly flying from point to point? Buying one-way tickets, but I would say mostly on the ground. On the ground, okay. Mostly train and... And uh, bus. I've come to love a good bus. And bus is the secret in Europe these days. Oh, my gosh. It's so cheap to go by bus all over Europe. And it's so interesting. Yeah. It's a little more interesting than trains because you're going through all these towns and and they're more comfortable than you might might imagine. And who needs Ryanair? I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) when I have to get... Well, we do. We do. (laughs) But when I have to get my... 23 kilo down to 20 and I've got stuff. Yeah. Well, you pay a cheap ticket is not necessarily a cheap ticket when you go on the cheapest (laughs) airlines. And retired people would have concerns about health. What's your advice for health on the road, filling prescriptions, if if you need medical care? Has that been a hurdle for you? We kept our insurance in America because we Mm -hmm. said, well, what if something happens and we need to come back and we wanted to be able to have insurance. But we also bought travel insurance through Mm -hmm. a website which we've paid them premiums and never made a claim. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they would be there if we needed them. But mm-hmm. it, now, I mean, now some people actually do their their dental work on the road because it's less oh, expensive. Oh, we do. Absolutely. That, where's, a, where's a budget tip? Malta. Malta. Gonna, yes, Malta should pay us money yeah. because we... So you uh, fly to the middle of the Mediterranean and it's a historic uh, little island oh, and uh, nice you, weather and, oh. and cheap dental care. You Absol- could fly from Seattle to Malta. Wonderful. Spend and a week, one, on, the, yeah, spend a week on the beach, care. get two implants, fly home and save money. I swear. Isn't that something? Debbie and Michael Campbell are telling us how they make it work to be full-time travelers right now on Travel with Rick Steves. They call themselves the Senior Nomads. And for the past three years, they've spent their retirement seeing the world without a place to come back to. And they love it. You can follow their adventures on their website, SeniorNomads.com. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Lynn is calling in from Paris. Lynn, thanks for your call. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, hello to you, Debbie and Michael. Hello. I never thought of myself as a senior nomad, but when you said your age, I'm older than you are. <laughs> and all right, I'm 66, and my husband is 68, I think. Oh, 69, you just told me. And five years ago, we packed our bags from Scottsdale, Arizona, when we rented our place, and we came to Europe. We spent six months in uh, London, then we spent a whole year in Paris. Then uh, we didn't get a visa again, so it's three months here, and then we can go to London, start taking out your handkerchief for us, (laughs) and then we go to Italy. Oh, my goodness. But uh, we've been doing this back-and-forth craziness for five years, and my question to you is, I want a home sometimes just to put my feet down, and it's my sofa, and it's my television, and what do you do? Because, like I said, nobody's going to cry for me, but sometimes I long for having my house. Did you sell your house? No, it's rented. I, I heard you talk about the rental, and we've been very, very lucky. You know, a couple of months, it doesn't rent, but all in all, we haven't had to go back to Scottsdale. 
Well, I would say cheers to you. My gosh, that sounds awesome. You know, we put, put your feet up on the Airbnb sofa. Yeah, we we move around quite a bit, so yeah. you know, um, we're not in one place for very long. And when we are home, I go to the storage unit and kind of just stare at my stuff and change mm-hmm. out a few clothes. But <laughs> um, Michael always um, kind of rubs my shoulders and says, "You know, Deb, there are houses, there's couches, there's stuff. We can always replace what we, you know, what we sold or gave away." But we wouldn't trade it, I think, Mm -hmm. right now. And I have Michael and I have my pillow, and so I'm home wherever we go. Well, Lynn, it sounds like you're enjoying life uh, in your 60s, living in Paris. And um, uh, Congratulations. Yeah. It it works, and uh, we're having a really good time. And no, if I am given the choice, do I want to go back to Arizona or do I want to continue this lifestyle? Of course I want to continue this Mm. lifestyle. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful gift. And I hear so many people say back to me, oh, I wish I could do it or I want to do it. Well, we're doing it because we want to make sure that uh, we get it all in before we can't. There will a day will come when you can't do it as easily, and and you'll be glad you did it when you could. Hey, all of you have been on the road uh, indefinitely. Do you... uh are you able to vote? Because I would hate to think of all these open-minded people enjoying the world uh, not voting. Yes. I voted. Uh, my husband didn't vote because he doesn't know where he lives. He's not sure. But you did. So <laughs> if, makes, if you care... He is a nomad. If you care, you can be a senior nomad and you can still vote. Yes, you can. That's, that's <laughs> yes, great. I voted. Hey, Lynn, thank, thanks for your call, Lynn, and, and happy... Um, kind of, <laughs> I guess we still say happy travels, but you're staying put in Paris, so and, enjoy. And get to Croatia. <laughs> uh, on a, a cruise, we just saw it, and it was one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen, especially the water. Mm. Oh, it's inexpensive and Croatia. beautiful and Ooh. full of history. Where did you stay in Croatia? Do you remember? Uh, we have been there a few times now. We love Var, uh-huh. H-V-A-R, the right. island. Yeah. Split, my favorite. If I was going to move Split, to the, another the, the city. The promenade oh. on the waterfront in Split yeah. is just oh, yeah. so love great. Split. And Zadar. Zadar. Zadar, Zadar. Zadar. yeah. Zadar was yeah. Awesome. Nice. Dubrovnik, mm, a little no, touristic well, every, now. All the cruise ships yeah. go to Dubrovnik. But hey, Lynn, yeah. thanks again for your call. Happy travels. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been enjoying an inspirational discussion with Debbie and Michael Campbell about becoming a senior nomad. Their book is Your Keys, Our Home. And Debbie and Michael, let's just uh, wrap this up with a kind of exciting news. I understand you you came back to Seattle and now you've, you've sold your home and you really are. That's Talk about burning a bridge. <laughs> you truly are citizens of the planet. Uh, what's with that and, and what's the future? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we were ready to sell the house. And uh, Debbie said earlier, you can always buy another house. I mean, there are a lot of them for sale every day in a lot of places in the world. Uh-huh. We're happy with what we're doing. We always said we'll keep doing it as long as we're learning, we're having fun, we're yeah. sort of in budget, and we're in love. And so we'll keep going until you know <laughs> something happens to one of those four things. And then we'll, I suppose we'll get a house. Get a house. <laughs> and hopefully not collect more stuff. No stuff. <laughs> That's one thing you learn is experiences over stuff. Absolutely. If I give Michael a gift card, like a, a card, like an I love you card, now I yeah. take a picture of it and I show him the picture. I said, if I was going to buy you this card, but I'm just going to show you <laughs> a picture of it. You two are both inspirations. So, and I, I just, it's so fat provoking. Thanks so much. And we'll hope to talk to you after another 1,256 days on the road. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Rick. Happy travels. Thank you. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton, Sarah McCormick, and Isaac Kaplan-Wilner at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington. Our website is managed by Andrew Wakeling and Dana Bublitz. Our theme music is by Jerry Frank. You can listen again whenever you like and find out about our guests in the notes for each week's show. 
You'll find it all in the radio pages of ricksteves.com. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, a monthly newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your European travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To gear up for your next European adventure, begin your trip at ricksteves.com.